Good morning. Happy Mother's Day as well to all the ladies in the house. And don't forget also, if you're not a mom, you have one. And I'm wishing my mother, who's passed on also, still thinking of her, and I'm sure many of you are today as well, of your moms, whether they're with, you, with us or not. I um, was not at the ladies' event yesterday. Hopefully that's obvious. Um, <laughs> but I did want to... Um, use that video um, from yesterday's event to begin my uh, time, my, my sermon this morning, because it asks a question that I think I want to ask in, uh, in the time that I have this morning, and that is this. Are you, am I, growing um, in your faith? Are you experiencing today in 2019 growth in your faith? And if you are growing in your faith, are you growing in gratitude um, as a result of what God is doing in your life? Because if you are, um, it's because I believe God's grace, which is my subject this morning, has gotten um, a hold in your life. That's what I want to talk about this morning, God's Grace. Now, this series, if you are new, Laura mentioned you might be visiting with us this morning or just here because it's Mom's Day. We're in a series, three weeks, we are in it called Simply Christian. And the point of this post Easter series is to ask ourselves a question, right, that um, about Christianity. I mean, I think a lot of people ask about Christianity or ask the question, what is Christianity? And they get the answer from a lot of places. They might get it from the news media. They might get it from, I don't know, current politics. They might get it from, you know, a bad experience out of their young life being in the church uh, as a young person. But I wanted to try to ask the question, you know, not simple faith, but simply a Christian to say, what is the essence of the Christian faith? Let's look past what we might have heard or what our bad experiences or our friends' bad experiences or someone else's experience have told us, what we've learned here and there, and to say, what actually does the Bible itself say about the Christian faith? And today, I want to talk about one of the most important truths really central to the, to the gospel message, and that is God's grace, and a message titled, The Riches of His Grace. We have a copy of the Bible. We are in the New Testament book of Ephesians, kind of right in the middle of your New Testament. You have it on your phone or on your Bible. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Follow along as I read this morning. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even 
when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Like all of us in this room, and I uh, would say all of us, you know, breathing on this planet, I um, am a sinner. And I'm, I'm, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm confident of that. Although I have been walked, uh, been a Christian for uh, many years, a pastor for many years, and and I think a work in progress. Um, I, you know, am am still a sinner, and I'm reminded of that every day. But with that said, I would say to you that I am convinced that God has um, significantly um, changed my life. And if those of you who know me, some of you do, um, I think you would, um, you, would, you would agree with that statement. And God not only has done significant things, changed in, brought in change in my life, but he's continuing to do that up into this very 2019 and if Christianity, right, has not truly brought about change in your life, it's the question I want to ask today, I'm going to suggest to you that it's because you have not grasped or it, or, uh, it has not grasped you. Um, God's grace has not gotten a hold of your heart. Because the grace of God, okay, lots of ways to talk about it. God's unearned favor, right? His unmerited love. His I don't deserve it. God's bringing it. God's love is the absolute centerpiece of the Christian gospel. It's the centerpiece of the Christian life. And it is this more than anything else that's going to bring about change in your life and change in my life. First thing this passage tells us is God's grace, my subject this morning, is rooted in his great love, right? But because of his great love for us, okay? But, right? Life is difficult. The world is a dangerous place, right? Look at the first couple verses, right? Talks about, you know, the cravings of our flesh and our desires being ruled by our cravings, being ruled by our desires, being ruled by, you know, our thoughts, almost like we are driven in life. That's the way the Bible paints it anyway, by a force that's moving us in the wrong direction. And it's all about self-centeredness. But God... Because of his great love for us, has intervened, has made a decisive move on our behalf, right? Motivated by his love. God's grace is rooted 
Not in your behavior, not in my behavior. It's rooted in his great love. But the main problem, I think, with this teaching, whether you're a Christian who's saying, gee, I don't know if my life has changed all that much, or you're a non-Christian and have been sort of laissez-faire or indifferent to the Christian message, maybe over your life, the main problem with this teaching or with a passage like this is we don't take it seriously, right? It's beautiful language, right? Lots of theology here that I'm trying to tease out. But we don't take it seriously. We don't believe a couple things. Number one, we don't believe that apart from God, we are actually this desperate, right? That you are a slave, that's what this passage says. All of us who lived among them at one time were gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following the desires and thoughts. We don't believe that we are Slaves to our cravings, slaves to our desires, slaves to our thoughts, okay? But this is the Bible's point of view. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. Okay, this is a passage from the, from the prophet Isaiah answering this same kind of question. When people say, where is God? Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. Isaiah, it's a, it's a Bible way of saying, God is here. He's ready. And God, he, and God hears your prayers. He knows your life. It's not God's prop side of the, of, the, of, of the equation. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Verse three, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, you might not believe that, right? But that's what the Bible says, deserving of wrath. Not because God doesn't love you, doesn't love me. Not because God isn't near, he's as close as your breath, right? In him we live and move and have our being. He is not very far from every one of us, the the, the New Testament writer says. It's because we have decided not to listen to him, not to pay attention to him, because we're more focused on our own cravings, our own desires, our own thoughts, our own lives. The heart of sin is not some ugly um, kind of horror movie. The heart of sin is self-centeredness, right? That says I have no room for God in my life. So some of us, the, pro- the reason this teaching doesn't uh, awaken your life is because you don't take it seriously either that you or I are desperate enough that we are actually sinners or some of us who do believe this accurate picture that I am, um, my life is characterized by, you know, these cravings and thoughts and desires that are greater than I, that are self-destructive in my life. And because of that, what the other thing that some of us don't believe is that because of that, God could actually love us or want to be a part of our lives, right? That's another reason grace doesn't change your life. Because you've already written yourself off. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm way too far gone for God to love me. But what the Bible says, okay, that's the point of this series, right? 
is the Christianity that you're carrying around in your heart or that you've dismissed as irrelevant? Is the Christianity actually what the Bible says? What the Bible says in this passage says is that God's love is not based on your behavior. It's not based on your report card or my report card. In fact, it's not based in, listen carefully, it's not based in you at all, right? It's not based in you. But even think about this. Even those of us in this room who are parents, okay, Mother's Day, those of us who are parents in this room, even you love your children your love for your children is not based in them. Sure, you appreciate when your kid does well or gets a good grade or does, you know, is, is thriving in some way. You're, of course, who doesn't want that for their kid? But your love for your child is not really based in them, right? You come to your child, whether they're doing well or not doing well, whether they're screwing up or not screwing up, whether they're getting good grades or not. You love your child, right? If I had a room full of people, a room full of kids, and I said, you know, uh, which one's yours? You'd know it, right? The one you're paying attention. You love your child. The love that you have for your child is based in you, right? Okay. If that's true for flawed human beings, it's true for God. And it's precisely because of this. So I'm trying to teach you what grace means this morning. That God's love is not based on your behavior. God's love is not based on your report card. That it's based on him. It's because God's love is unwarranted, is unexpected, is unearned. It's because of that that it, has the, 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 that it can release the power to change your life. See, if God's love does not amaze you, right... Not because of how big it is or because of the, the gospel story in and of itself, but when it touches your life, when you realize that it's undeserved, when you realize that it's unearned, when you realize that it's the last thing that you would expect, but God comes to you and gives it to you out of his own love for you, that is so overwhelming. That's what God's grace is, the heart of the gospel, right? Have you experienced it? Have I experienced Virtually all of our experience, think about this, tells us that we have to earn and accept, uh, excuse me, earn acceptance and love. All of it, whether it's work, even in marriage, it often is this way, with kids, with parents, you know, life is a march, right? <laughs> You know, it's that great song, the, 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 the Cohen song, right? You know, love, is, love is, uh, uh, is, 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 is not a victory march. It's a broken hallelujah. You know, and that's, that's kind of the way we, we experience it, right? Love, all, everything that we learn about, li about life is that we earn acceptance. We earn love. That's what we know. And we project that onto God. But God's acceptance in Jesus Christ is without precondition and without complaint. And it's only when that captures your heart, it's only when that captures your imagination that it will make you spiritually alive. Right? This is the grace of God. I had the opportunity um, recently to see the play Hamilton the musical, I, I know many of you did, or many, and there's, did, and, and I'll say this about it. It was great. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, 
But one of the many things I didn't, you know, know about uh, not only Hamilton's life, but about this play, a lot of it was about his marriage, right? A big part of it was about his marriage. And not only about his marriage to Elizabeth Schuler, but um, about this very public infidelity in his life that actually virtually destroyed his marriage. And I, at least my sense from the play was kept him from ever being the president of the United States, okay? But there's this song that is sung near the end of the play called It's Quiet Uptown. It's this beautiful song and um, Hamilton that just he and his wife kind of take center stage and he's basically singing a song to her that says, um, I'm sorry and, and might you give me a second chance? And she's very reluctant. She's already taken herself out of the narrative, as she said in the play. But they're kind of walking closer and closer. And at one point, she grabs his hand. And the chorus sings these words. There are moments that the words don't reach. There is a grace too powerful to name. We push away what we can never understand we push away the unimaginable. Forgiveness can you imagine. Forgiveness can you imagine. And that song, at least my experience, was kind of a turning point in the play. Right? right at, not long after that, Hamilton is killed. Okay? That's not how the play ends. Hope I'm not ruining it for anybody here, okay? <laughs> you know, he was killed in a duel. And uh, if you miss that, that's what you get for sleeping through history class, okay? <laughs> but after that, Eliza, his wife, really takes center stage and takes forward the message of the play. And what I got from it was, the reason we... He became a founding father. In other words, his legacy was recovered. And for decades after his young death in his 40s, she rebuilt his life out of love because of grace and because of forgiveness, right? God's grace is rooted in his great love. Do you know that grace in your life today? Second, God's grace is experienced in connection with Jesus. Now, if I'm going to get an email, it's going to be on this part of my sermon. And it, it, it's not, it, and the email is going to be like this. What in God's name were you talking about? You know, this is not seminary, okay? But I think you guys are pretty sophisticated. And what I've said to you in this series is, you know, um, uh, this is not going to be simple Christian this isn't 101. This is, do you understand the gospel? Right? And are you paying attention? Are you living it? What, this, what does this passage say? God's grace is experienced in connection with Jesus. There's a lot of confusion about what it means to be a Christian. This verse is part of it, verse 8. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's a beautiful verse. Let me tell you what this verse does not say. You are not saved by your faith. Okay? 
That's not what this verse says. So some people think, you know, I became a Christian or I thought I was because I simply believed in the facts of the gospel. It's important. Jesus died and rose the third day, right? But you know, frankly, my life has never changed. But I hope I'm on my way to heaven, okay? We're not saved by faith. That's not what the passage says. We're saved by grace. For it is by grace that you've been saved. Faith, belief, reliance, trust is how grace is appropriated, right? Faith doesn't save you. Faith is simply, you might say, one writer wrote, says, it's the adhesive that takes our belief. But let me say something, what it does. What is Christianity? Christianity is not believing a set of ideas, right? That's what, a, that's what being a, a member of a political party is. Or, or, you know, I believe a platform of ideas. Christianity is not believing a set of ideas. Christianity is trusting and relying in the one who is believed. And faith is a kind of adhesive that ties you not to a doctrine of beliefs. I'm a this, right? It ties you. It, 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 it's, it's why I said grace is connection with Jesus to the person, the living person of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's what this passage says. And has that happened to you? Listen carefully. Three things are said in this passage. Three, three important things that God does. And I'm saying he's, he makes it a believer. You, gotta, you have to exercise faith and belief. But what does he do with that belief? He connects you in a very powerful, profound, spiritual way with not only the person of Jesus today, the living Jesus, but with the work of Jesus. His death becomes your death. His resurrection becomes your resurrection. His power becomes yours. Verse, look, look carefully at this passage. Three verbs are used. Don't fall asleep. Very important here. It's not boring. He made us alive, verse 5. He raised us up with Christ, verse 6. He seated us with him. Those three verbs... There are only one, in each case, it's only one Greek word. All three of those verbs have the prefix syn, S-Y-N, which is where we get the word synthesis, okay? What is he saying then? How is it he made us alive with Jesus? He raised us from the dead with Jesus. And he has seated us in heavenly realms, which isn't heaven, heavenly realms. In other words, he's given us spiritual power with Jesus, Right? In the, it's happened. Those are past tense verbs. Well, I, don't, I didn't rise from the dead, right? I'm not living in heaven. Is this just flowery metaphor? No, it's not. What God did in Jesus physically, right? That is, he rose him from the physical death. He does with people who believe in him spiritually. When he says you were dead in your transgressions, he's not being clever. Of course, these people weren't dead, physically, but they were spiritually dead, right? And what happens when you and I believe in Jesus Christ is this. The events 
of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we don't simply as believers benefit from those events. Like I paid a bill and you're the beneficiary. Jesus died for my sins and rose and I'm the beneficiary. Like there's some big ledger in heaven and I'm, I'm taking off one board and putting on another board. It's not what it says. We don't simply benefit from these events. When we believe in Christ, we are included in those events, okay? Does that make sense? It's hard to appreciate, but that's what he's saying. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, raised us up with Christ, and seated us with Christ in a way that's beyond our comprehension but is very real through the living power of the Holy Spirit. Because I believe in him, he takes the power of the Holy Spirit, and in a way, what Christ did in his death, his, we died with him, he says in the book of Rome. That is to say, my sin was crucified on that cross. And I rose with him, that his life becomes incorporated into my life. And today, I reign with him, that as I'm seated, I live with a certain kind of spiritual power. This is what the Christian life has to say, okay? 2 Corinthians 5.21, listen carefully to this verse. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, what does that mean? Leave that verse up there. God made him to be sin. Now, he's talking about Jesus clearly, kind of if you read the whole passage. Does he saying that Jesus became a sinner for us? Okay. God made him to be sin. Well, it's clear he's not saying Jesus became a sinner, right? We know that Jesus is sinless from many places in the Bible. So he's not saying God became a sinner for us, right? Think for a minute, just for a minute in this room, about the cross of Jesus Christ. Think about everything you know about it. Try to let your heart and mind imagine what you've been taught, what you understand took place on the cross. What do you see? Do you see a man who is full of self-centered thinking, cravings and desires, right? In other words, did Jesus become sin for us? No, no. What it means is, what you see in Jesus Christ on the cross, why did you, what, what, was the, what does the Bible say about him? That Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, which is you and me, it's a parent and a child, a love that's born in him, not in us, because of us. Because of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, Right? of hanging naked and being thought of as a criminal because of his great love for us. He became judged for sin. That's what Jesus is saying. Or that's what the writer is saying. He became judged for us so that we might become the men and the women that God had always intended us to be, right? That's what this passage is saying. This is what the gospel is saying. It's not about assent to some beliefs. It's about being connected to the living reality in a way that's beyond imagination. But this is what the Bible teaches. That the Spirit of God, in a way, makes me 
on that cross with Christ in a sense. That great act was not for his sin. It was for mine. And he paid the price for my sin. And, he's, and, the, and the power of Christ is at work even in my life today. Right? Are you changing? Where as I continue to think about God's great love, it begins to reveal greater areas in my life that need to be crucified. And out of that comes a greater release of God's love and power in my life, right? God's grace connects us with Jesus. Lastly, God's grace prepares us to do good works in the world, right? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's God's gift. Not by works, so that anyone can boast. For we are his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. C.S. Lewis, God does not love us because we're good, but makes us good because he loves us. Let me give it again. God does not love us because we're good, but he makes us good because he loves us. The word in verse 10, handiwork. What an interesting word. For we are God's handiwork. Now, the, the, the Greek word behind it is poema, where obviously we get the word poem, but what it's saying is, listen, it's a creative act, right? Salvation is a creative act, just like the first creation was. We are, therefore, if you are in Christ, you are a new creature, a new creation, right? Old things have passed away. All things are becoming new, right? It's a life, it, it's, it's, a, it's a process of time where, God, where you and I can, we, over time we become more captivated by the love of God, more overwhelmed by the grace of God. That love becomes more deeply penetrates into the cravings and the thoughts and the desires that are self-destructive. And in that comes death and resurrection and we become the men and women that God wants us to be because of his great love for us. Salvation is not, does not come by good works, but it is certainly, surely for them. That's what he's saying. And a desire to do them and an engagement with them is a sign that God's grace is at work in your life. Because you no longer are, you're less and less, you spend less and less of your time thinking about your own needs. Less and less of your time being self-centered where your cravings and your thoughts and your desires, what I need, what I don't have, what, what people think about me, those are more satisfied by the love of God. And then I have a growing desire not to want to go to the world to get, but to go to the world to give. Right? That's a sign that God's grace has captured your heart and your mind. Let us pray. Everyone, just in an attitude of prayer, I want to just take a minute and we're going to be done. But I want to just talk to you for a minute and ask this question, right, where we started. Is God, is Christianity, is the practice of the, of, of the Christian faith, is it changing your life has the grace of God his great love 
unwarranted, unearned, right? Completely um, unexpected. Has it touched your life? Has it awakened you spiritually? Um, and if it hasn't, if you said, you know, I've, I didn't, I always thought that we, we, God loves us because we're good. And I've never felt good enough, as we sang before. But I'm understanding now that to become a Christian is not about being good enough. It's not about having um, right behavior or, or a good report card. It's about simple, humble reception of the unwarranted love of God. If you'd say, you know, I didn't know that. If you want to open your life on this day, how do you do that? It's very simple. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts, right, that God raised him from the dead, we can be saved. To become a Christian is simply to put faith in this grace to say, God, I want to know this love and I open my life for it today. So right where you sit in the quiet of your own heart, I'm not going to acknowledge you. This is just a private moment for you. If you want to say, God, pray this prayer. Thank you for your great love, for sending Jesus Christ, your son, into the world to die for my sin and to give me a second chance at the life that you've always wanted me to have. Be my Savior, be my Lord, be my Father, I pray. Father, we come to you this morning, all of us. We thank you for your, your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for this truth that after all these years, um, has still amazes us. We still have a hard time fully seeing the amazing richness of your grace, your mercy poured out in Jesus Christ. Help us all in this room to see it more clearly today. In Jesus' name, amen.